following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. A father sat down with his two sons, his two sons who were just in the middle of an argument over two cookies. One of them was considerably larger than the other. Two brothers, two cookies, one of them bigger. Is that not a tragedy waiting to happen in the middle of any American home, any home for that matter? So the father sat the boys down and he said, you know, sons, what would Jesus do? I, I think we should think about what Jesus would do. He would want the other person to have it, and he would give. He would say, you first. And after some silence, the older son said, you know what, Dad? You're right. Jesus would do that. And then he looked to his brother and said, how about today you be Jesus? And he swiped up the bigger cookie and shoved it in his mouth. <laughs> that story may or may not be true 100 times over, depending on the type of siblings you have or the type of children you have. But there's something about generosity that strikes a nerve for just about everybody. It's not hard to talk about generosity. It's not hard or challenging to come up with the words to talk about sharing and giving and being generous. It's easy to say things like all of the things that we heard in Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 or anywhere else that generosity and giving is brought up in the scriptures. It's not hard to say things like that from the generosity God has given to us, all of those blessings we are now privileged to use to give and to share with others. And whether you're looking at a church or a charity, some agency, some community fund drive, a, a school that's raising funds for some activity or trip, they might even try to use several tactics, all of which are okay. They might, they might express their need. We cannot survive and accomplish this task without the generosity of our donors. Nothing's wrong with that. They might even express the practicality of what each gift could do. With a gift of X, we will be able to do Y. If each person, this number of people, were to give this amount, then we would be able to accomplish this. Nothing wrong with that. They might even try to talk about giving using any number of words or synonyms. As they pull out Roger's thesaurus, they might think of the number of ways that they could say, here is an opportunity we would like to present to you, or this is a privilege that we have in our community, or would you like to give, or would you consider this, would you pray about it, might maybe act on this. Any ways that they would try to use their ask, even if it's maybe a little redundant, doesn't necessarily make it wrong. All of that is to say, talking about generosity, talking about giving, it's not hard. Where's the rub? It goes back to what that older brother had going on in his own head. It's not necessarily the words that came out of the father's mouth. It's how those words were retranslated, recalibrated. And maybe that's the case for each and every one of us. That when God talks about giving and generosity, I can't find a single passage. In all of the passages that I looked at this last week, over 20, where in God's word, Old Testament, New Testament, he's talking about giving or generosity in general, or even specifically, where it's complicated, where he's using these really complex phrases or words. It is third grade level. What's hard is when the ear and the brain and maybe even part of our own sinful heart negatively reacts in some sort of way so that what is simply shared is translated. 
it's no longer about giving. It's about actually something that is the opposite of giving. It's about a fear of something being taken or maybe a tendency like that older brother to try and take and to have and to possess for fear that there might not be enough or worse. And you know when God talks about giving or generosity? He doesn't talk about it in terms of taking. Because you may understand that the idea of giving and the idea of taking are opposite. And when God talks to us about generosity, about giving, from his angle to us and as avenues through us, he talks not about taking at all. Not even part of the conversation. Rather, it is all, all, all in every possible way about giving, not only from God to us, but then also through us to the world. And, and you might think, uh-oh, here's a sermon where pastor's going to talk about offerings. We put offerings on the roadside sign. I don't think that that would necessarily pack the seats a little bit more than Christmas Eve. But hold the phone a second. Do you know that Jesus talks about managing our money and thinking about our blessings that subject matter, almost probably more than any other subject, that God talks about this because it has to do with how we practice our life. It is not so much about what you think about dollars and cents, pocketbooks, and the bottom line. It has everything to do with the heart that interacts with those things. So, so with that in mind, I invite you to have those words open from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as we dig in. And what you and I are going to see is that generosity is all, all, all about giving and not about any fear mentality of taking. Paul has a lot of work to do when it comes to the church at Corinth. You could say that they, in a couple respects, were a train wreck. This second letter that we have from him, it starts off with him defending himself as there were these pretender apostles who were trying to subvert not just Paul, but the gospel ministry so that they can gain a following for themselves. So right out the gate, he has to defend not himself as though this is a power versus power, personality versus personality play, but this is all about the ministry of God's reconciliation. And so he is exposing himself and opening himself up from the heart to his people to say, no, I have set forth the truth plainly, 2 Corinthians 4. We commend ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. It is all about God's word. It is all about everything that we're sharing with you. It is not about personality and power like these fake pretenders are supposing. And since it is all about the ministry, then it is all about how God has reconciled us to himself. For God made Jesus, who had no sin, to become the sinner for us, so that in him we become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. And then even in some more practical examples, he is now sharing with them that he is gathering an offering so that he can share it with impoverished Christians who are having the society around them leveraged against them simply because they are Christians. And so with hearts uh, in a Christian family that care for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, he says, we're gathering this so that we can share. And where does this all come from? That's where he picks it up in our reading today. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 8. And of all the things that Paul says and you look at all of the positive, overflowing words of promise and grace that are dripping off the page, it's hard to find a negative word. It's simple. It's positive. It's promise. All of the words. 
But then we kind of think about the things that he, he doesn't say, and we think about the things that we kind of tend to think. I mean, when the subject of, of giving or being generous in every way comes up, w- what do we tend to think? Well, maybe it depends on the person who's talking to you. Like if it's a family member who is communicating with you about maybe an opportunity to help a family member, because you're close, sometimes that means, of course, you're going to care, but maybe because you're close, maybe it's a little bit easier to be skeptical and jaded. Does that tend to overflow into the Christian family as well? That when the subject of generosity and giving and sharing doesn't have dollars or cents tied to it, it doesn't have any obligation assigned to it. It simply is an opportunity presented from God through his word, through his pastors and people to you, that here we have a privilege to share and to give so much, so much thought. Oftentimes, so many of our reactions tend to go not towards those simple, beautiful words of promise, but towards what? Towards reactions that have nothing to do with what the word of God says. I know, I, I can't look into your heart, thankfully, and you can't look into mine, but I could tell you what, what I've thought at times. When I see somebody, no matter if it's from some agency that's non-religious, some non-profit or a, a Christian charitable organization or churches that I've been a part of, when I, when I hear someone talking, it's not like there's some switch where I can just turn that voice off that negatively interacts with a person who's talking about generosity. So what does that voice say? Maybe this sounds familiar. When, when I think of, well, if I'm supposed to give more, how much more am I supposed to give when I already give this much? And all I'm looking at is what I have in the present and what I have now. And I'm not really at all thinking about the things that God will provide from his goodness in the future. When I hear someone talking about giving, whether it's an opportunity at church or an opportunity in the community for somebody who is in need, I can so easily think about not just what I have, but all the things that I don't have. And then here comes the comparison game, because we know the comparison game is always a healthy game to play. Well, I know so many other people who are so much more capable than me when it comes to opportunities where they could give and they could provide and they could and they, and all the while I have started to ignore what God is specifically saying, not to those people, to those people, but that's not my prerogative in the moment, but to, but to me. Or maybe I could think of all the ways that I've been taken advantage of. We, we've maybe all been there, where it was maybe somebody who was in need. I followed a man to a grocery store one time who was picking up medication for his daughter. And as I saw him in the parking lot, I was following him because I had to get some milk, partly because I was following him, but I also had to get milk. And as he's walking out of the grocery store and he has two 12-packs in his hand, imagine what I thought. And so that one negative situation can arise, and then what does that do to the person who's actually in need? Because how many other times have you or I given to people and they literally had nothing to their name? Maybe their daughter really did have medical problems and needed medication. Maybe they really didn't eat in a couple days. They had no food. They had no socks. But so easily, where do our minds go? Despite all of the things that God says, all of the promises that he makes, we operate from a position, a mindset of fear, a scarcity mentality. Skepticism and jaded mindsets reign, and all of that lands in a sphere that I would label the take mindset, because it is either fear that we need to take more for ourselves and kind of build our fortress, proverbially speaking, or a fear that something is going to be taken from us 
and we will be left with little to nothing. That all flows from a take mindset. And it is fascinating, and we have arguably one of the best examples in all of Scripture, that when God approaches us with generosity, the subject matter of giving and sharing, he does not play salesman. He doesn't have to prove to you, well, listen, so what's going to happen is I'm going to present you with a challenge, but then, you know, some of your investments, <laughs> I know the economy's not, you know, you got some questions, but hey, around the corner, this is going to happen and this is going to happen so that when your financial advisor talks to you, the arrow doesn't kind of go like this. It actually is going to go like this. God doesn't do that with you. Because where would be the need for faith in all of that? Instead, he only, only, only talks not from a position, a mindset, a culture of take or fear or scarcity mentality, but only about giving. I mean, is that not what you see in the Old Testament reading? In the middle of a desert for who knows how many people, he provides quail and manna. What is it? It is bread on the desert floor. Can you imagine that? Uh, what is it? Uh, try again, Israelites, and come up with something better to say. God is giving you bread on a desert floor for you to eat. And for all of those people, why do you think Jesus has this little back and forth with his disciples? You give them something to eat. Why do you think he says that? So he could kind of go off in the corner and go, <laughs> No, you give them something to eat so that they have to now wrestle with how in all of the world is this going to happen? And all that they can think of is what they have right in front of their faces. And what does Jesus do? He provides. Maybe it is also worth mentioning that when we flow from a mentality of a, a scarcity mentality or fear or take or worry that we, what we have will be taken from us, we worry about all the things that we have and fear. And by the way, what do you actually get from all of that? What do you actually get in the end? You know what you actually get? You get what you have and it's going to be given to somebody else after you die or it's going to go in the trash can and you wasted a ton of time fearing and worrying, and that's really all that you and I get. I say that because what great good is there from this mindset that so easily pervades inside our skeptical, scarcity-mindedness? And God responds to that in what way? Look again at how he starts. God is able to bless you abundantly. No joke. No joke. So that not in sometimes and in a couple ways, and if you play your cards right, and if the stars align, he might could. Nope. So that in all times, in every need, and in every way, God is all, all, all in so that you would be given all that you need from him for your body and life, for your soul, for your heart, for your eternity, and even for others. Is it not remarkable that when you look to the two things that are highlighted in the last couple sentences of our reading, he points our attention to the hands of God and then also to the heart of God. And look at the hands of God and look at what they give you. How many of you could literally look back in your life and think to yourself of a time when you were in need? Maybe it was great physical or monetary need. Maybe it was emotional or social or relational need or something else. And you still, for the life of you to this day, cannot explain how God worked through people to provide for you. I could tell you story upon story of how just for me and my family, either growing up or for me and my family today, 
Whether it was a bill, it was some challenge, I overheard mom and dad whispering about some financial issues, and it was almost as though God communicated to and through someone else to provide for us, and there's no other example. How many of you have experienced the exact same thing? Where it was somebody expending time and energy communicating with you through a card or through a note or through time in a relationship where it was somebody who brought food to you when you were scrimping and trying to save and turn a dollar out of a nickel. When you were trying to pay a bill, when you were trying to meet ends meet, when, when you were trying to care for your children and you had no other answer and somehow, somehow out of his goodness, God still provided for you and for the life of you still to this day, you react with a situation like that, like, I, it, did, how did you, did, did I mention, did I accidentally text, did you know? Because you know the person didn't know you were only talking to God and yet look at what God did. God is able to provide for you, and it's not only for you as he cares for your body and soul, but also through you for the needs of others. Maybe we should also mention, look at the needs of others around us. Homelessness in our community has not been on decline. No shock to you. Those who are in who knows how much need surround us. And for those who are in need... I guess we kind of wish God would just care for them, right? Drop some quail in the evening. Maybe some manna will appear on the floor. Or maybe we would lean into the gospel. Because Jesus could have done that very same Exodus 16 kind of thing, but instead he chose to do a Mark 6 kind of thing and work through his disciples who would be the hands and the feet of God, caring for a hungry crowd whom probably would have survived, but still God loves them so. The same God who loves you and he loves the people that surround you, and one of the key ways that he loves them is not outside of you, not in spite of you, but through you. How noble it is that you can and are called to be the hands and the feet of God to a world that is in need, a world with so many people in need that surround you. And Need we also say, don't just look at the hand of God that provides for you and provides for others through you. Look at the heart of God. This, this righteousness, he quotes Psalm 112, and this psalm is not about God, this harvest of righteousness. It is about believers who have been so filled with this righteousness, this moral symmetry from God in Jesus Christ. It is outside of us. It is foreign to us. And yet since God sent his son into the world to give us a new identity, a renewed hope, and an eternal life, we now belong to God, and there is nothing greater there is nothing of more value than the eternal benefits you have in Jesus Christ. Since you now have that righteousness, that does not land in your heart. That your heart would be a dead end. It now flows through all of your life so that with all that you have, you see your life as a channel of God's grace, an instrument of his blessings for the people around you. Abundance. The God who's generous pours this out to you so that in every way you can pour this out to others. Do you, you know that that's probably one of the coolest things about being a pastor? Because I don't know how much you know about the people around you just in our church and, and the ways that they pour out their blessings. We, we don't know what people give and we keep it that way, but so often there's an anonymous gift that comes in just when we need it. There's somebody who's in need and somebody hears about it and all of a sudden, lo and behold, God provides. 
He doesn't drop it from heaven, but in a way he does. He just decides to work through somebody to care for somebody else. Whether it's reaching out through our preschool and helping a family in need, whether it's providing for a family from one of our youth camps, whether it's one of our own members who's been hit with hard times, somebody who's in the hospital, time and time again, one of the greatest things about being a pastor is you just get to see God provide for people, even if oftentimes you don't get to see who that is. That's not even, it's valuable, but that's not the most important thing. You just get to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. As time and again, God decides to drop blessings through his people for the benefit of others. He works through you to be his hands and his feet so that the generosity of, would, of God would abound through you and then many more would give thanks to God as a result. That's the coolest thing that you get to do this year. It is awesome. Of course I'm biased when I say being a pastor is the greatest job on earth. I'll always say that. It's not even really a job. I mean, you get to share God's word with people. You get to see the ways that they get to take God's word and the grace that is in their heart and they get to care for others. At the best way that somebody can interact with God's word is not by saying, hey, pastor, I need you to come here and I need you to say all of the things that pastors say to my neighbor, although happy to do that anytime. But then for you members to say, I was able to talk with my neighbor about God's grace. I was able to care for my neighbor. Let me tell you that story. And for you to get a front row seat, I mean, popcorn couldn't make it any better than for God to give you such a wonderful opportunity with the best church in the world to see God's people who decide to care, not because this is something that they want to do in, out of a, a desire to earn favor with God, not because they're worried about taking and taking or fear, but because they know that God has so loved them and they cannot wait to love others. And you get to do that too. It's the best thing in the whole world. There was once a lady who welcomed a late traveler. Hundreds of years ago, as the story goes, this late traveler came to her house and just asked for some bread. But he saw that she had a precious stone as well. And so, being quite a bold man, he said, could I have that stone? When morning came, she packed up a sack for him that had bread, had that stone, and some extra bread on top of it. The traveler left, and she wished him well, and then two days later, he returned. And when he returned, the bread was gone, but the stone was in his sack, and he brought it back, and he gave it to her. And he said, I'm not giving this back as payment, but I do need something else. And in her head and in her heart, she kind of choked back some pessimism, a little fear of what he might now ask for. He said, can I have from you what caused you to give me that extra on top of it? Because... He didn't have that. You, dear Christian, you do. God, who is able to be so generous to you to give you eternal life through his son, to bring you into his family through the waters of your baptism, to feed your soul through his supper, to nourish you body and heart, now and for all eternity, gives you all that you need for your body and life, so that, so that with this abundance and with this generosity, you would be a channel of God's grace. And since God does not hold back in blessing you and blessing me, then as we look at the world and the lives around us, holding back, how could we? God grant it. Amen. Amen.